Father God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for your love, Father, that you pour out into our hearts, for the Holy Spirit, for the forgiveness of sins that is free to those who you call forward, Lord. And I pray that today that you would open our hearts and our minds uh, to receive your word and to, to be diligent to ask and to seek what it is that you want for us and walking alongside you. So bless us, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So, what is truth? What is truth? That statement, that question, is probably one of the (laughs) most ironic and powerful questions to ever, in my opinion, appear in the scriptures. Because as Jesus Christ, after being arrested, taken through an illegal trial, with no witnesses being able to bear against him, was taken before Pilate, the the Roman governor, and questioned. And in this questioning, Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king? Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. And everyone... Oh gosh, it's going to be one of those mornings. Okay. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Um, Brother, do we have any? uh, Oh, there's some right here. You'll have to forgive me. Maybe I shouldn't have played that video. I don't know. And he says, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate looks at Jesus, the most, most ironic thing in the scriptures. He looks at the word of God that established the foundations of the earth. He looks at this man in the face and says, what is truth? interesting. But that's the world we live in. We, li- we live in a world where people are lost. People are hurting. People are, are confused. And they stare into the face of truth. And they deny it. And they stare into the face of the truth. And they don't even understand what they're seeing. But God has created the world and he has created his own people to be a display and a testimony, to answer that question, what is truth? In Romans 1, we see that it says that uh, everybody knows there's a God, right? That's what the Bible says. 
everyone knows that there is a creator because even in looking at the creation, you look up at the stars and it proves his eternal Godhead, his power and his wisdom and his design. It's evident so that no man is without excuse. That's what Romans 1 says. And so we, we have this picture and we know there's something there. And there are some who deny it and there are some who are just confused and they're hurting and they're, and they're seeking. In the video, um, that Muslim man said the sons of Ishmael are, are thirsty. They want to know the truth, but I don't know where to find it. And so I want to read to you a small section from 1 Timothy 3. Um, now before, before we do that, I want to uh, give a little bit of an overview of what's going on here. So Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's writing to Timothy about how the church should function, what the body of Christ should look like, what is the purpose, and how should we be a part of one another, right? And so he starts, and in chapter 1, he says, look, cast out all lies and deceit. Don't let foolish talking and fables go on and on and on. It's not profitable. He says, as Christians, as body of the church, be praying always at all times, right? Be, be making prayers for your governors. Be making prayers for each other. Men, lift up holy hands everywhere without doubting. Women, adorn yourself with the things of God and not with outward apparel, be submissive. And for those who are in leadership, for deacons and for elders, here in chapter 3, it says, here is the way your life should look, a life of good works, a life of good testimony, of faithfulness, of self-control. And then starting in verse 14, after he said all these things, he says, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I'm delayed, I write these things to you so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. For God was manifested in the flesh justified in the spirit. He was seen by angels. He was preached among the Gentiles. He has been believed on in the world, and he was received up in glory. Without controversy, this is the mystery of godliness. And so we see Paul's, um, Paul's desire and Paul's purpose, Paul's passion for the body of Christ. And it's interesting, he says, I'm writing this so you may know how to conduct yourself in what the, house, the household of God. This dwelling place, this family of God, which is what? Which is the church. This assembly right here. The assemblies across town, the assemblies in Ingram, the assemblies of all people on this planet who name the name of Christ. We have become the dwelling place, and the household of God's own choosing. So I want to talk about two things, really. First, um, a little bit briefly, 
our position and, and um, the passion we should have for the household of God. And then I also want to talk to you about what is God's purpose for this household? What is God's purpose for us? And so I want to ask you something, you men, right? So your household, your wife, or if you had a wife, I'm sure it's, it's not too hard to, to imagine. You set up your household, and you run your household in a specific way, right? As Christians, we want it to be a household that honors God, of course. But there's also things in place where our family is cared for. You want your wife to be protected, you want your wife to be of good character, right? You want, you want your, your family to, to grow and to be blessed, okay? And so rather you do it consciously or subconsciously, we, we would run our household and we would love our wives and we would put things in order in a way to produce that outcome. So let me ask you something. If someone else came into your household and started changing the ways things were done, started telling your wife how she was going to live, how she was going to act, how she was going to dress in a different way, how would that make you feel? Women, how do you think that would make your husband feel? I'll tell you right now, <laughs> there'd be some unhappy gentlemen who might not be so gentle after that. And not just angry, but disrespected. And not just disrespected, but hurt. Right? Hurt. And a lot of times, as men, the truth is, a lot of times our anger and frustration is really just hurt. Uh, we don't know how else to show it, right? And so we look at the scriptures and we look at, at God saying that the church, this, this household, this brotherhood, right, our gathering, rather it's here or it's at Pastor Mark's or it's at HEB, this gathering is the bride of Christ. And we are a household of faith. Should not our household be in order? Should not the bride of Christ be submissive and loving and reverent and well-pleasing to the bridegroom? So how do you think God feels when other people come in and start changing things up? Well, hopefully we're not those other people. So how about us? How do you think God feels when we, being the bride, begin to make our own way and begin to walk and to act and to speak and to, to live out of order. It's not just that God is angry and wrathful, which in many cases he is, but I think that even hurts. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit of God that is the gift of salvation, is the Holy Spirit that comes and rests in us. And it says, do not grieve that spirit. God grieves over a household out of order. He grieves over uh, a saved child, over uh, a man and woman of Christ who has fallen out of a, an active love relationship and is living in disorder. And, you know, I've got, I've got kids, right? And even if I'm having a pretty good day and I'm getting my kids in order and things are starting to go smooth, you know what happens when other kids show up? Boom, right? 
because they don't know how order in my house works. Maybe not all kids, but you know. And my kids do the same thing when they go other places, right? They don't know how order is there. And so they show up, they're out of order, and well, you know what it causes? Disorder in everyone else. And so in this household of faith, the same thing can happen, right? That we, we need to be men and women that are in love with the God who first loved us. And where our purpose is to be a faithful servant, a faithful bride, which is still kind of a weird picture, you know, to me as a guy. But um, (laughs) to faithfully fulfill that role and to pursue that, because I know he's pursuing me. And the only times I'm not, the only time I'm not benefiting that or, or the only time I'm not seeing the benefit of God pursuing me is when I'm not really paying attention. You know, there is a, a thing from Adrian Rogers where he tells a story about an uh, a older couple and they're driving down the road in their truck and the woman looks over to her husband and she says, oh honey, do you, do you remember the old days when we were first together? And we used to ride down the street and you'd have your arms around me. And he says, well, I didn't move. And so many times, that's, that's my life, right? So many times, that's our life. We think about times or, or seasons, or we think about, we see God working other people's lives, and we think, man, I remember this time when God was really uh, working through me. I remember a time when God really, you know, was doing something, and God hasn't moved. God hasn't distanced himself, right? And so we have to have a diligence to see that and and to mourn over our own relationships, and not just for ourselves, but for our brothers and sisters. That we should, that we, if we have experienced the grace of God, that we should cast off those things that cause us to stumble. When Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, Jesus is not into self-mutilation. But what he is saying is anything that's going to cause you to stumble detach yourself from it and get as far away from it as possible. And true love, true Christian love, is that which seeks the benefit, the, the, the best benefit for others. And if we really love one another, we should seek to have that, to have that same brokenheartedness when we see disorder and when we see wandering, and when we see bondage in others as we would have in ourselves. Isn't that what Jesus says? Love your neighbor as yourself? I don't want to be shackled. Anybody, anybody here feel like being shackled? Not, not expecting a whole lot of hands to be raised, right? And so he says, I'm writing this to you. Go through, and if you've never read First Timothy, you need to go home today and you need to read it. If you have read Tim, First Timothy, you need to go home today and you need to read it anyways. It's an amazing book. And, and Paul, he's, he knows the love that God has for his church. And because the Holy Spirit is in him and he has given his life for that, he has the same love. He has the same passion. So one of the things that I love about, about reading this, the more you read it, it's not, okay, now I know it. It's, no, I see God's heart. I hear his voice. I understand how he sees now because he's changed my heart. And so what breaks God's heart should break ours. What God loves, we should love. And since God is a God of order, 
When he created all things, he put things in order. When he took the the Jews and he set them free from captive in Egypt, he gave them the law and he put his house in order. And it was not for bondage, it was for their good. And we think, well, you know, we're free from the law. And we're free from the old, well, yes, we are. But we are not lawless. Because God is a God of order. And his goodness and his perfectness is a law in itself, is it not? And you know what the Bible says sin is? Lawlessness. Yet we can be thankful that we're not under a law of of penalties, but we're under a law of grace. In fact, Pastor Mark and I have been going through the book of James, and, uh, wait, let me check myself real quick. Yes, okay, yes, the book of James. And in the book of James, It says, and anyone who is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, and who looks intently into the law of liberty and continues in it, this one shall be blessed in what he does. And so, there is a way in which God expects us to live our lives. There is a way in which God expects his house to be in order. He expects our tongues to be respectful and seasoned with salt. He expects our hands to be full of grace and good works. He expects our minds to be meditating on him and for our heart to be seeking him. This is what pleases God. And so, yes, there is a law, but it's a law of liberty where the grace that we need to do this and the salvation it is already given. It's already given. My wife doesn't have to, to, to meet my checklist to remain my wife. And I don't have to meet a checklist to remain her husband. But because of the love that I have for my wife and the love that my wife has for me, we should be seeking, I should be seeking to love her more each day and she should be seeking to, to respect me more each day. And we have, for the most part, over the last, you know, several years. And I pray that God allows us. But that is, that is supposed to be an image of our relationship with Christ. But what is the purpose for this church? What is the purpose for the household of God? Why is it that it's so important that we ourselves seek to embrace that image and that responsibility for the same reason that Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? When he was staring into the face of truth. Again, he says, I write so that you may know know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. And this is how he describes the church. It is the pillar of, It is the main structural support, the same word which is used when he talks about people being a pillar in the eternal kingdom, which means ever-present, right? It is the pillar and the ground, the foundation of the truth, of the truth. 
I just got back from <laughs> me and Jason. Uh, um, I got an invitation to go to Baylor for two days with the campus ministry. I ended up driving the bus um, or the big van thing, whatever, 12-passenger van with a bunch of other um, kids. And we went to Baylor. I didn't really even know I was going to. I mean, they sent me emails. I can't, you know, I don't do my research. I just say, okay, you know, we'll figure it out when I get there. It's kind of how I roll. And, but I was telling Jason about it, and I'm like, you know, he's like, what is it? I was like, I don't know. And I'm looking, I was like, oh, it says it's an interfaith convention. It's like, I don't really know what that means. That doesn't sound really good. But I was like, I think it maybe it means like interdenominational, right? Because the email said it was a church leadership thing. So, and he looks it up and he's like, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's what this is. And I'm like, well, um, if it's not, that's usually where God sends me is these whacked out places with whacked out people, okay? That's just, I don't know why, right? I don't know, but that's where he sends me. Sure enough, I get there, and the International Faith Youth Corps, which was established by a Muslim man, seeks to produce interfaith connectedness and relations among work environments and yada, yada, yada. So I already knew how this weekend was going to go, okay? So I get there, and I will give them credit. There is this idea of cultural humility, is what they called it, which is really, hey, if I'm a Christian and a Muslim, we don't have to hate each other to get a, work, to get a job done, right? We can work together and respect each other like normal human beings and whatever. So I agree with that, okay? That's a good, that's a good point. But in my time there, what I saw was, even though that is supposed to be the picture they're painting, you know what it really was? It was a tool for Satan. Because what Satan wants to do, he doesn't want everybody to embrace each other's cultures. Because everybody embracing each other's cultures is really forming a, a new culture where anything goes and no religion is of value. And I'm with these people who have no understanding of truth, who have no understanding of God. And they're lost. And they say they're there to seek an interconnectedness. But as I'm there and I'm sitting at my little table with a couple other people, there's a man named Tech from Nepal who says he's Hindu, but really doesn't practice Hindu. And every time someone mentioned being a Christian. Every time someone told the story of someone else coming to faith, he immediately began asking that person questions. Because even though they say, oh, well, you know, we all need to be interconnected, and oh, you know, everything's okay, everything's of value, you know what the depth of the human heart knows is true? There is a God, and there is truth. A rose is red. doesn't matter if you want it to be blue. Right? We are sinful, fallen humans. We will be judged. Christ died for our sins, and he is the only way to salvation and eternal life. That, that, that is truth. And these people are trying everything they can to try to push down these these feelings and these emptiness and this confusion 
by covering it with anything. And yet you'll always see there, there are some who are listening for something that's going to spark them to that truth. This is why God has established the church. He has established the church so that the world can look at us and see Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And no one gets to the Father except through him. And I love that in that story, he said when Jesus told him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he, didn't, he had never even heard that before. He didn't even know that that was scripture. He didn't even know that that was Jesus' own statement about himself until after he got saved and read the Bible. And it's so powerful. But the church is supposed to be that foundation of truth where everything else stems up. And we're supposed to be the pillar that holds up that, the integrity of God's word because this world is always coming. This whole evolution versus create, all that is, that's an attack against the foundation of truth. That's all it is. All this transgender, blah, 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 it's an attack against the foundation of truth. But if the world looks at the church and the church is in disorder, and the church looks at our lives and they don't see a passion, and they don't see an example of godliness, where else will they find it? Where else will they find it? Right? And that's why I think it's so important for us to have a love for God that is every day being cultivated. It's so important for us to have a love for the body where we're encouraging one another and where we're... Where we're um, inspiring and correcting one another. You know what Paul tells Timothy? Teach, rebuke, exhort, right? All of that. Not just, hey, being a Christian means being really nice to people. That is, this whole event I went to, that is the message the world is trying to portray, that being a Christian really means you're really nice to everybody, and if you step on people's toe, you're being a Christian wrong. That's really what they're putting, and you know what? Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of Christians have accepted that message. And I had a man, when he heard me witnessing and declaring the word of God to this Hindu, Nepali, got up from my table and rebuked me and then left and then later on came back and told me that my overbearing evangelical tendencies was why he was no longer an evangelical what I did not tell him is no you are not an evangelical because you have no love and fear for God because if we have a love and fear for God we would love his church and if we had a love and fear for God we would love his truth and we would love others enough to represent that to them and to have a fear, to have a fear for misrepresenting God's character. And in this sense, it's not about a law, right? It's not about I have to do this right or I'm not a good Christian. It's about God's character is law and I have a love for God.
And this should be in our life, in our words, in our relationships, our testimony. That Jesus Christ was manifested. God was manifested in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen by angels. He was preached among the Gentiles, believed on the world. And after being crucified and killed for our sins, three days later, he was received up in glory. I ask, in our life, is that a message that's being presented? Is there anybody who we're loving and pouring our love out in a way where that message even can be presented? And as we live our life and as we gather together, do we have a, a, a church and are we vessels that are adding to that integrity, that pillar and that foundation of truth for the world to see? Or are we allowing there to be a crack in that integrity? Because that's something, that's where God's heart is. And that's where, as the bride of Christ, our heart should be, is to submit to and to, and to work alongside that. Amen? So let's pray together. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege of coming together and, and being useful to your kingdom. I thank you that um, even though some of us could say we were, like Paul said, we were the chief of sinners, yet your mercy was poured out on us unto salvation. Father God, I pray that every heart here would be softened to your will and to our neighbors and those around us. And if there's anybody here who has never fully accepted that gift of God, if they don't understand what's being talked about when we, we talk about the Holy Spirit, Lord, I just thank you that, you, it, Lord, without you, there's no hope. But because of you and your sacrifice on the cross, every shame can be wiped away. Every hurt can be mended. And you freely give eternal life to those who believe on you because you paid our debt. And so, Father God, I pray that you would forgive us, that you would en enlighten us, and that you would lead us in being an example um, of who you are to the world. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.